there are secrets out there, guys, performance marketing secrets, and knowing just one or two of them can light up your funnels. Let's go. This is Performance Marketing Insiders. I'm Chris Mechanic. Join me as we go deep into the secrets of the world's elite marketing minds. Performance Marketing Insiders is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the AI-driven performance agency that makes you smarter. Welcome, everybody, to another exciting episode. I'm super-duper excited for today's guest. He is um, a little bit different than most guests that we have in that he's a little bit younger, and he's uh, he's still, I think, very much like hands-on in platform and he's like which is good in that he's he's like up to date with the latest and greatest but uh i feel really excited about talking with him because i think we're going to get really geeky on you really quickly and uh he his specialties are in paid media digital he's a digital marketing expert um demand generation and demand capture are his game uh and he's got uh, a couple of really exciting secrets to share with us um, but he has a you know a really uh, impressive career for his age and trajectory so far. He's worked with Gong and Salesloft. Currently, he's uh, director of demand gen at User Gems, and he is Isaac Ware, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the show, Isaac. Hey, how you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Uh, I am super duper excited to be speaking with you today, and. And fresh back from Cancun, I was just on vacation, so I'm fresh back, and I'm looking to get geeky, brother. Looking I'm excited. It's uh, we'll have some good technical stuff in here, so we'll uh, we'll dive into some some details. Nice. All right. Well, let's start off. You know, our audience is all about those secrets. Our goal here is to impart value. We wanna we wanna give. And I know you have multiple secrets, but I want you to share one of your best kept, closest kept secrets with the audience here today with the intention and the mindset of like imparting value. Tell us what it is. Definitely. So my secret, especially um, end of 2022, beginning 2023 is multi-threading. So we all know multi-threading on the sales side of things. It's been a a playbook for, for decades. It's always been a thing. Um, but marketers need to start doing it. Um, we started running this, especially on paid media. Um, basically, what we're doing is multi-threading by persona through paid media. So, what so we're do doing, me a favor, really, just define yeah, multi-threading really quickly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so multi-threading um, is pulling other people from the company into the deal. Um, a lot of the time, it's trying to pull other personas you need into that deal in order for it to close. So having multiple contacts. So you're not just talking to, you know, the sales buyer, you're also talking to the CFO or the COO or somebody in those different capacities. Definitely. Yeah. Nice. And a lot of okay. the time too, especially well, when you we think, think that's now. common sense, right? But but there's yeah. a lot of marketers I think that don't know, you know, or that aren't that familiar with multi-threading, myself included. Like I just heard that term probably a year or two ago, you know. So, okay. Yeah. So multi-threading is having multiple contacts within a deal and it increases your chance of closing that deal dramatically. Dramatically. Yeah. So that's why we started leaning into it in the first place is our RevOps ran a bunch of machine learning tests on every single one of the deals we were running um, or all the deals we had closed and found it was about a five times higher close rate when we had, when we had more than five people involved in those deals. Um we at user gems need marketing sales rev ops in these deals 
Um, and those buying groups are getting bigger and bigger. I mean, we've seen some of our customers' buying groups get up into that 13 mark sometimes. Um, so these buying groups are getting bigger. So multi-threading is more important than ever. Wow. So you had five times. So instead of a 10% close rate, it was a 50% close rate. R- way higher. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So is that the secret? Is just like to multi-thread or what? Yeah, so the the secret isn't that is isn't just multi-threading. So multi-threading has always been a thing on the sales side. So we wanted to pull that in on the marketing side as well. Um, we have all this data sitting in our CRM over at User Gems, where we're pulling these, we're surfacing these buying groups into our CRM. They're just sitting there, ready for sales to use. We wanted to accelerate these deals on the marketing side of things, so we wanted to run a split test. So we started running some of these ads before the split test, and we started seeing little bits of traction. Um, where we would start seeing these mentioned in the sales calls. We'd start seeing these mentioned on um, Slack screenshots from the other company of people seeing these ads out there saying, hey, we're talking to your team about X. Do you want to join the deal? So we started seeing some of these non-demo request actions being taken, whether that's sending it to somebody else in the company, asking about it. Um, And we kind of started seeing it accelerate deals a little bit more. So we really wanted to run a split test around this. So we took half of all of our contacts in our CRM, half of the others. And what we did is we actually assigned a value in Salesforce for them. So we had a one, two, three, and a four, and we split test ones and twos got multi-threading, threes and fours did not. Um, because we had to do it this way too, because it's a really tough thing to capture just with demo requests or things like that, because there's a lot of the, the dark social um, going on in the background. Yeah, that prevents you from having some of the normal like split test criteria. Okay, so so what did you do exactly with the ones and the twos? So you in so you said, hey, we're going to multi-thread the ones and the twos. What does that mean, like from an in-platform perspective? What did you actually do? Definitely. Um, so on the Salesforce side, I'll kind of walk through from audience to the actual ads. On the audience side, what we did is we had that ones and twos marked. We also divided those up by persona. So for us, that's sales, marketing, and rev ops. We created campaigns for sales, marketing, rev ops within LinkedIn. And what we did is we had a dynamic audience that was constantly refreshing in LinkedIn that as soon as an opportunity opened up, we had a report built for each one of those where it said, there's an opportunity opened up, it's an ICP account, and their marketing pushed them into this audience. So as soon as that happened, um, UserGem surfaces that buying committee for us pushes that into the audience. Now we're serving them ads saying, hey, RevOps, and then you insert specific pain point to that persona. We did that mm-hmm. for marketing, sales, and RevOps to pull them into the deal. So it's like, hey, and, RevOps, like, are you spending thousands of hours? So do you mention in the ad that they're in pipe for you? Yeah, so these ads, we, we have it say, hey, marketing, so we're calling up. We call out the persona right away. And then right under that, we're saying, your company told user gems that they want to hit their pipeline goals faster. Or we just play, plain say, hey, your company's talking with user gems. Do you want to join the next call? So we have kind of a mix oh, of wow. pain-specific pain ones, and we have more call-to-action-focused um, call-to-actions on some of those. So they see those ads and they're like, what do you mean my, comp- like my company's yeah. talking to user gems? Like, oh, I've just I've heard of user gems. And they're, yeah. you know, this is weird. Really cool. Like, this, this is a relevant ad for me. Yeah. And, and what we what, started doing are you yeah, using just sponsored content ads or are these combo ads where you can you can like dynamically insert the your company and the industry or what have you? 
So we tested Convo ads and Convo ads for us are a huge pipeline driver on the other side of things um, for demo requests. But for some reason from multi-threading was not nearly as impactful. Um, and my thought with it ended up being around frequency. With in-feed ads, you're able to just just absolutely blast frequency. You can have a wide variety of them. They see you all the time. Um, and that became especially important with personas like CFO. So we have a separate multi-thread campaign for CFOs where a lot of times CFOs are blockers. So you don't necessarily want to say, hey, your team's talking with us. Do you want to join the deal? Because the AEs are going to lose their mind if you have CFOs just constantly trying to join deals. Um, so what you do in that situation is you don't call out that they're talking with you, but you really have heavy social proof as soon as the opportunity opens up. So testimonials from other CFOs, talk to your AEs, find out what CFOs are saying on calls as why they don't want to go forward and put that into the ad copy or objections or pain points and things like that around that persona without actually pulling them into the deal. So mm -hmm. the people that can help accelerate deals, pull them in. The people that won't accelerate and will sometimes be blockers, just social proof them. Got it. Got it. So let me summarize for, uh, for the audience, basically. Multi-threading, if you're a sales person or a revenue-oriented CMO, multi-threading is smart because instead of having just a single contact or just two contacts within an individual deal that's in your pipeline, you're going to have multiple. So what Isaac's team does is essentially uh, replicates and scales that on the marketing side of things. So instead of your salespeople manually reaching out and manually making contacts with these different individuals, it's like an automatic trigger reaction. Like right when they enter your pipeline, then they're added to an audience on LinkedIn and they're automatically delivered these ads, which are, you know, very choreographed and very specific to that persona and the stage of pipeline that they're in. Meaning that the CFOs might not get a message that's like, hey, join the call. But like the RevOps team will get that message that's like, join a call. The CFO will get instead you know, uh, testimonials from other CFOs or other types of social proof. So that's fire, man. That's awesome. And so now let's get into the results. I mean, it sounds really great in theory, um, but let's get to the results. What actually happened when you did that? Yeah, this was definitely one of those where you're, you're running the split test and you're nervous what the actual results are going to be because you don't constantly see those demo, demo requests coming through or anything like that. So, yeah. Um, and for, for reference to these audience sizes, I mean, we're a 60, 70 person company and these audience sizes per persona are still sitting at that 10 to 15,000 person range. So it really adds up when you pull all the buying committee that sales at all the open ops. It actually adds up to a, to a good audience size. So again, we went split tested 50% were receiving multi-thread, 50% were not. Um, and these were the results. So we saw 31% higher win rates across the board, 25% bigger deal sizes, 67% more contacts involved in the deal, and a 17% shorter sales cycle on average. So really, really amazing results. So yeah, higher win rates, bigger deal sizes, more prospects involved in a shorter sales cycle. And if you look at any one of those metrics, I mean, all of them are due to having more prospects involved in the deal. I mean, it makes sense on the sales side, so it doesn't make sense that we haven't been doing this forever on, on the marketing side. Fascinating. So how are, talk to me about how the audience sizes add up, because I couldn't imagine, like, say you're, you know, a typical B2B, you might have like 50 deals or 100 deals in pipe at any given time, say... 
and and so you're you're targeting RevOps people at you know at these fifty or hundred companies. So is that what you're saying? Like when you when you combine the fifty or or I guess how many deals were you looking at? That's I guess the big question. I ge- I genuinely don't know how many deals actually were open because I was just looking at it on a on a contact basis. Um, so I obviously could, that I that could that imagine audience size being challenging. Maybe yeah. not for bigger companies with more deals in pipe, but for smaller companies with fewer deals in pipe. Yeah, because that audience size challenge is always always something on LinkedIn, you know. Yeah, and and that's kind of what I what I I was thinking that at first, and then then you actually get into it, and three hundred all of a sudden isn't so difficult to hit because, like you said, even if you only have, I mean, 50, 50 deals open, I mean that would be a fairly low number for a decent sized sales team. I mean, you have. 10, 10 AEs, hopefully they have more than five deals each um, at a time or open ops at a time. Um, so for us, even at a, as a small as a smaller company, still worked out numbers wise. And I mean, that 300 number, you're still going to be able to saturate that with a really low budget. For us, multi-threading is only around 10% of our entire paid media budget. Um, so we still spend a decent amount on it, but it's not a massive spend or a very expensive campaign. And we could probably even get away, get away with the five to 8% um, of spend. So what does it look like in platform? Because you sort of hinted at this earlier, but I have a sense that these campaigns, while very effective in real life, might not actually look that pretty in platform. Yeah, definitely. I I think they're fairly pretty. I mean, I do I do a lot of our ad design, so I'm probably a little bit biased on our side of things. Um, I have really just bold text, and then I have a uh, have a person that stands out. Um, it looks like they're like yelling. It's more of a B2C looking ad. Um, and that's usually what I lean into on the B2B side of things because we all kind of know LinkedIn on the B2B side of thing got fairly dull and boring for a while. So in my opinion, it's fairly easy to stand out just by making some of those tweaks. So brighter colors, more faces that are that are more exciting looking, things like that yeah. um, to stand out well, the feed. Yeah. That's not what I meant exactly. I didn't okay, I, I meant that the numbers <laughs> might not look pretty. Like Oh, like in your combo oh, oh. ads, like you're getting demo requests probably for like a hundred bucks a pop or two hundred bucks a pop, and you're like, yeah, this is working. Yeah, but in those campaigns, like you're spending, but you're not seeing the demo request come through. You may Correct. or may not be have you like you may or may not have some other conversion actions triggering. But is it a thing where like you know you're spending, 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 and and you don't really know exactly what's happening until you like listen to the gong calls or until you you know, get this more subjective feedback. Exactly. Yeah. And and we run a lot of campaigns like that. I think we're we're fairly aligned because we're a smaller org, so we're able to do things like that. If you look at this campaign in platform on LinkedIn as is this a success or is this not a success, it looks atrocious. Um just really low on the demo requests. Even those view conversions sometimes are low. Um, so you really have to do something like one of those split tests that we ran across the board and then look at the numbers as a whole and make sure they're statistically significant on that side of things. Otherwise, these campaigns, I mean, you're looking at thousands per demo request, doesn't look like it's paying off. Um, so yeah, definitely took a little more effort to actually get down to like, is this a success or not? Um, but it all started with that like gut feeling, seeing a couple little success metrics, what was coming through from prospects, and then running with that in a way that was actually measurable. Yeah, that's cool. And so I, so presumably that's how you convinced the CEO, your CEO and your CMO to like run these, 
even though they looked atrocious in platform, you were like, okay, fine. Like, let's do a test. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there was a lot of excitement around it too. I mean, our sales team was excited about it. Our VP was excited about it. And I mean, it's a, it's a core feature of our product too. I mean, user gem surfaces your buying committee into your CRM so that you can do things like this. Um, and sales obviously was, is the easiest use case in that situation. So we were just really trying to find how does this apply to marketing? How does this apply to even CSMs? Like all the different personas within our buying groups, how does this apply to them? Um, and the marketing was just such a, I mean, no brainer for us. Yeah. Cool. Well, I want to talk about user gems a little bit. I don't typically like to make these into like product pitches, but I am interested in, in user gems. Uh, and to learn more about it. But before we do that, uh, let's, like for the listeners that are interested in this concept of taking taking the multi-threading concept and applying it uh, to their actual ad buys and platform, like outside of user gems, like let's just say the user gems didn't exist for now. Uh, how could they get started in doing that? Like what's the easiest way to like, build that or enable that to happen in platform specifically with LinkedIn. I think we're talking. Yeah, definitely. So I would focus probably primarily on um, probably an account-based multi-thread with some LinkedIn filters. So use what LinkedIn's able to do with accounts and filter down as much as you can by sales or marketing or whatever your persona is, do as much filtering as you can in LinkedIn. Um, if you aren't using a marketing platform like HubSpot marketing, you may be able to pull off some of it. Um, I think demand base could pull it off. Certain platforms like that can pull off multi-threading at a higher level. Um, my hunch is that it would still be effective. Um, but again, I haven't had the op- opportunity to test it, um, just because we've been using, using our own tool for it, uh, for this. So in the absence of even a HubSpot or a demand base, you would essentially just like look at your pipeline periodically, identify the companies, right? So like, let's just say for easy math, you have a hundred companies in pipe. So you create a, you create one campaign with those hundred companies targeting RevOps or Persona A. Right. And what I, what I would actually do, I mean, if, if this were me executing it without user gems, I would actually recommend probably a virtual assistant. You can have a virtual assistant go in, watch that pipeline pretty regularly and update that account list and, and the, and the personas with the open opportunities fairly regularly. If you didn't have something to automate the process. Yeah. And you can have like two, you could have one custom audience, which is just all the companies in pipe. And then one save or and then multiple saved audiences, one for each of your personas, right? Yeah. So and title basically based or seniority like, based. Like this company list plus that persona, this company yeah. list plus persona B. And then in that way, basically do it manually. What user gems does kind of automatically, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, there you have it, folks. There's value. If you're liking this, if you learned something, if you laughed a little bit here, uh, give us a like or a comment. Share this with a friend. I think that was fire, Isaac. Um, to the to the tune of like, I want to hear the pitch. I want to hear about user gems now, and I think that the audience probably does too. Um, 
So let's talk about user gems a little bit. I'm curious uh, from two things. I want to learn more about the product and the platform, but also I want to learn more about like, you know, just your experiences there and what you guys are. Like you told us about a massive win story, but I'm curious about your struggles and your challenges and and different things like that. But why don't you start just by telling us a little bit about the product? Like, is it, does it do this? Is this multi-threading thing the the majority of what it does, like taking the concept of multi-threading and making it work on LinkedIn, or is that just a feature in the product that it does? Yeah, so I would say it's it's one of the one of the bigger pieces of the product. Um, kind of our bread and butter, though, is tracking job changes. It's the same thing of we want to find the warmest path into an account. That's the multi-threading piece, but that's also heavily the job change piece. So we're tracking previous champions that have used your product. So when they move to a new company, we're automating the whole process behind finding that contact, notifying CSMs, AEs about that job change. But then also what we do is we've turned these into playbooks. So we're pushing those playbooks into outreach, sales loft, your marketing automation platform, so that you can immediately reach out to these people, stay in front of them, be there for when they're ready to buy again. Um, Really important with executives, obviously, um, because they're spending most of that budget in those first 90 days. But also, I mean, you have an open opportunity and all of a sudden a previous champion joins that company, that AE needs to know so that they can pull that person into the deal, accelerate that deal, um, increase your chances of closing that deal. Um, so multi-threading also comes into play with those job changes. So somebody changes jobs, moves to a new company. Now you have that whole buying group surfaced into your CRM so that, so that AE knows this person just moved there. This is the entire buying group around that person. Let's start a deal. Um, so mm-hmm. really cool on the automation side of things there. So it's primarily used by salespeople more so than marketers. Heavily by sales, but marketing is is one of our main buyers. Um, marketing uses it really heavily for ABM too. So mm-hmm. internally here at User Gems, we run 300 one-to-one campaigns on paid media. Um, you pass SDRs 300 accounts every single month they're going to lose their mind because all of those accounts don't have contacts. So for us, we're able to pass them 300 contacts or 300 accounts every single month that have all of the buying committee ready to go in there. So all they have to do is push it to sequence. Um, so huge for marketers as well. I see. So this is not a substitute for outreach or for demand base or six cents. This is basically like an amplifier for it. Yeah, it's really an amplifier. And, and like you said, like six cents, Take those accounts, run it through user gems. You have all the buying committee at all of those high intent accounts. So we work with a lot of products like that. Our customers use Six Sense, they use Demand Base, they use all of these products in tandem with user gems to kind of amplify those. Interesting. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. And how long have you been there? Yeah. So I started January of last year. So okay. still fairly new. Um, but really, I mean, focus on building out this demand program. It was, uh, it was an amazing. You, have a, you have a very impressive resume for a guy of your uh, age. What attracted you to user gems? Like, why did you go there? Yeah, definitely. It's one of the, one of the main things. I mean, I was going through the interview process and really looking at like what user gems had already built in terms of marketing without demand position. Um, we have an amazing VP. We have amazing content. We have amazing organic social. So they had already built out all this amazing high value content. They had an amazing brand built. They had had really defined their product that we were solving an amazing problem. Um, 
And then you start looking at all the things that customers were saying about the product. I mean, and even some of the employees. So, I mean, some of our AEs were like, I saw user gems over at my last company and I would have personally paid for an entire company's license just to have that for myself. And I was like, okay, so we're, we're solving a major pain here. Like this is going to be an easier thing to market than, than some of these other products out there. So, so um, what really, is the really pain that you're solving? How do you guys think about the pain that you're solving? Yeah. So easing pipeline anxiety is our, is our main thing. Um, there's our, our, I mean, I was just listening to one of our customer interviews and, uh, I was interviewing him and I asked like, so what would you do if you went back to the office and user gems wasn't there? And he was like, we would not be hitting our pipeline goals. And I was like, that, that right there is like, that's enough for me where it's like, that's a big enough problem. Everybody has pipeline anxiety, whether you're sales, marketing, CSMs have to worry about churn. And we're hitting all of those personas, trying to solve that for CSMs, sales, marketing, everybody across the board. So it's um, funny. It's a, it a very real had, pain point. I've never had pipeline anxiety. You've, you've just always been hitting your number? No, never I've just never number. had a number. <laughs> I mean, I've never had a number. It's just happened. But you know how it's happened? Via team travelers and referrals for the most part. Okay, I mean, yeah. we, we have some useful outbound campaigns, but our most important persona is team travelers. So team oh, travelers perfect. are our clients. So you talk about job changers. That's the same as team travelers. Yeah. So when we get a client, we impress the heck out of them. Uh, and it took us many years to realize this, but you know, they inevitably end up switching jobs and we automatically in the spirit of service would stay in touch with them and say, Hey, how can I help you at this new place? And that's where like most of our business has come from over the years. I love it. That's a, yeah. that's a very user gems pain point right there. And I've never had pipeline anxiety. And instead what I've done is just like really dig deep into the clients that we have and really just try to serve and add value to them. And then, you know, we have a saying, once a client, always a client. Yeah. Like it doesn't matter where you are. But now I have pipeline anxiety because as we get bigger, like now we have a, a head of sales and like they impart their pipeline anxiety into me. And yeah, they're like and pipelines low, and I'm like, well, I care. Of course, I care. <laughs> but it's always had a way of working out up until this point, so I don't care that that's, much. And that's what we usually see. I mean, you you start small, and you you say, hey, oh, we could we could track this manually, and and you are probably tracking it manually fairly well. It's like who's moving where, staying in touch with them, everything like that. And then it starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and you have thousands of contacts to track, and all of a sudden, it's a lot less. Uh, well, that's fun. Um, especially, so we usually see like 20% of the contacts change in your CRM every year. So they change yeah. jobs. I mean, and then on top of that, you have promotions. So be able to track all of that definitely is definitely is tough. Yeah. And we are relatively small. So there's probably like five or 10 people internally out of our like roughly 80 or so that like have all of those relationships and they just know our process. And like, we know like if somebody moves and switches, like we've got, you know, a, a process set up for that. And it's probably not very fine tuned, but it comes from a place of an intention to serve and an intention to yeah. be of value, you know? So I think yeah. it comes off in that way. And that's why it works for us. However, a little bit of science and a little bit of tech behind that wouldn't hurt us. So I'm definitely, no, definitely interested in, definitely user, doesn't. in user gems. I know, uh, 
our head of demand gen has like kind of a um a linkedin sales navigator instance that like kind of does that at a little bit of a higher scale but i'm interested man i'm a buyer and i'm i might be uh we might have some opportunities to partner together because i bet you a lot of our clients would probably like this too yeah it'd be huge cool man well i think you've done a good job in telling us about your win stories i want to hear a little bit about your challenges and pain points like yeah, what, what keeps you up at night from a user gems and a and a marketing demand gen perspective yeah, definitely. I would say there's there's a couple pieces on the on the piece that applies directly to me. Um, while we are solving just this amazing pain point, everything like that, there's not a category around job change tracking really built out yet. Um, yeah. And I think one of the biggest signals for this is or being able to tell if this is the case for a product. So if you're a marketer going into a new company, check search volume um, and see is there bottom of funnel search volume around the pain point you're solving. Um, and for us right now, started almost untargetable on Google ads. And now we're see- starting to see that come up. Job um, change tracking, like as a job term. change tracking. Yeah. So for us, that's like one of our main things. Um, so being able to target a bottom of funnel Google ad search is huge. And like identifying if there's already like this existing pool of people that are looking for what you're buying. And what mm-hmm. that meant for me is instead of being able to rely on bottom of funnel, just like capturing all these people are looking for the solution. A lot of it is heavy, heavy education around the pain points, around the problems, um, people that are trying to do this manually and then slowly starting to discover it's not working manually and then coming over to user gems, capturing those people. But as a whole, that pool doesn't exist for us in this massive amount yet. Um, so it's a lot right. different than a monday.com or a sauna or a chili piper or something like that where there is that category built out around that so definitely a challenge on the marketing side um but i think it's fun because you get to you get to define what that looks like you define those pain points you get to talk with a lot of people that are discovering a new solution so it's exciting in a way but definitely a challenge i see so you guys so you're viewing job change tracking as like the main thing that you're doing and and trying to create it a category around that so basically there's like not a lot you could do on organic or on paid search exactly there's no yeah. bottom of funnel search vol- or volume for job change tracking yeah and and we're kind of defining but there's a lot what... of top of funnel volume you know so you could theoretically and that would be a lot cheaper like on a per click basis yeah yeah to... so we we do have some of that some of that going on but again i mean we're finding LinkedIn for us is is massive. I mean, you get to touch at, I mean, I'm put, pushing overall frequency to like 12 to 15 mark between all the different ads we're running, just kind of walk people through that buyer journey. And it's actually ended up being cheaper than top of funnel working down through on Google ads, um, just because it's such a kind of, it's it's new for a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean... I think from a potential buyer's perspective, if I'm just being honest with you, the the idea of job change tracking might not be all that appealing to me, but the idea of bigger deal sizes, faster closing cycles, exactly. you know, more people involved in the decision commit, or those things are more compelling. Yeah. 
No, it, it definitely is. And the, I mean, that comes up on the marketing side when we're walking through it on, on the LinkedIn side of things. Um, but then again, kind of tying that, that pain point to job change tracking is, is tough in a lot of people's minds. And then a lot of common objection we hear a lot of the time is, oh, well, we already have a process for that. So a lot of the time too is working people through what that looks like for them right now into what it could look like. So, I mean, for instance, like Mimecast is probably one of our, one of the, one of the biggest stories we tell around that where they had this, like, they had a, a whole program built out around champion tracking, all of this stuff. They were, they were doing everything manually. And they thought they were doing it fairly well. Um, and then we went in, ran a data test, and it was like 10 to 20 times the job changers they were actually missing than what they thought. Um, so it's kind of one of those things where people think they have the problem solved in a lot of ways. So it's a lot of education and kind of convincing in some ways. And a lot of that happens during the sales process, but you have to start that during the, during the marketing messaging as well. That's interesting. So we fall in that boat. Web mechanics does. Like, oh, yeah. I feel like, I feel like we do a relatively good job with our team travelers, which champions is a cooler name. We should probably start calling them champions. I'd never heard team travelers before. That was a new one for me. I've heard a lot of names for it. But, uh, but I'd be interested in that, in that analysis. How do you do that analysis? Yeah. So we, we run data tests. Um, so we plug right into your CRM. We, we see who's moved jobs. We tell you where all of those job changers have moved, how many have gotten promotions, all the percentages broken down on what's happened with everybody in your CRM. So we're able mm-hmm. to tell you, this is where they've moved. These are all the ones you've missed. Here's how many are out of date. Um, so you have a really, really easy use case on your side of things to say, like, has it been working? Has it not been working? And it's a pretty, pretty clear answer once you see the results. Cool. Is that something that you do for most prospects in your pipeline? Like, is yeah. that like, a, or is that a huge, like a huge piece of it? Yeah. Cause I mean, everybody, I mean, especially now people are really, really tight with budgets. So, I mean, there has to be, I mean, this isn't two years ago where everybody was just buying tools left and right. Nobody really cared where the budget was going. There has to be a really, really strong use case. Um, and it can't just be a tool. It has to be like really, really heavy involved in generating pipeline, heavy on ROI, has to solve multiple pain points. So it can't just be job change notifications. Um, we're really involved in the actual process, making sure you don't have to have a high headcount to actually manage it, the easy integration, all that stuff. Um, well, I think a lot of listeners... A lot of listeners right now are probably in the same boat as me, where it's like, yeah, we have a process for that. Like your most common objection. Yeah, we have a process for that. You know, that's what we do. Um, But they're also like me, probably interested in like, hey, how is that process actually working? Yeah. So would you be, would you be open to like performing that analysis for some number of uh, listeners of this podcast? Yeah, I think that'd be great. Um, Run it through. Yeah, that'd be a blast, actually. Um, I don't think, and I actually love that objection. So that's why, I mean, as soon as people start talking about, oh, we're doing this manually, I'm always like kind of excited because it's like, like, all right, it's that sign that like they know job change tracking or champion tracking is a problem. They think they have it solved. And it's always like a very exciting result on the other side of the data test where it's like a, it's a good, oh shit moment. um, Well, it's more of an opportunity, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's at least how we think of it. Like we don't think of it as so much of a problem. We think of it as like that's the reason that I don't have pipeline anxiety. Because even if you do a mediocre job at at tracking job changes, if you do an exceptional job at serving your client, then it just like you know sort of happens. Um, 
more or less. And usually when, when we're reaching back out to team travelers that left, like we're not reaching out with a sales message. We're reaching out with a message like, Hey, like just want to make sure everything's cool with you. Let me know if you want to talk. Like, it's not like a direct, like hire us again message. Yeah. And that's, I mean, we have, we have a lot of playbooks. I mean, they're public on our website, exactly how we run all our playbooks. And that's, that's exactly how you start those out. I mean, just stay in front of them, shoot them a gift card for some coffee. Be like, Hey, if you need anything, we're here. Um, so like, don't start off heavy handed right off the bat. So yeah, you're, you're on the right track. Well, yeah. I mean, it comes from a place of love really at the end of the day. It's like, we want to make sure that you are well taken care of. Yeah. It's amazing too. I mean, even I mean, we look at like Gong as one of our customers, sales loft, things like that. Those are amazing products that everybody that uses them loves. So you would think all those champions should just be coming right back in. Um, and sometimes they do need that outreach, automating that outreach even or anything on that side of that side of things to pull them back in. Um, they don't always come back back in on their own as much as you would think. Even if you are solving amazing problems for them, they're super happy with you, everything like that. Okay, cool. So would you be willing to do five of those free analyses, one for us, web mechanics, and then four for listeners from today? Let's do it. All right, cool. Well, yeah, let's start with us. And then uh, anybody that's listening right now, if you are interested in an analysis, a CRM level analysis of how good of a job you're doing in terms of uh, keeping in touch with following up with re-engaging what we call team travelers who are people that hired you at company a and have now gone to company b uh let us know shoot an email win at webmechanics.com that's just uh w-i-n at webmechanics.com let us know that you're interested in isaac's crm level analysis at user gems and uh, we got four of them to give away for free awesome Let's do it. Cool. I dig it, Isaac. Well, it's not every day that we have a guest on here where it turns into a product promo, but I think that this product <laughs> is pretty cool and pretty sexy, and I'm interested to use it myself. Uh, and not only for the team traveler tracking, but also for the for the multi-threading sounds really cool too. Yeah, and that's included in that data test too. I mean, you find out what key contacts you're actually missing at those accounts. Nice. All right, cool, brother. Well, I'm interested. I have a bunch of other questions for you. I'm interested uh, in, however, I know that we're running a little bit short on time here, and I know that it's a Friday, and I might be, you know, one of the few things between you and a cocktail at this moment. But um, so, yeah, why don't we wrap up? Let's do the lightning round. Sounds good. You ready? Let's do it. There's three questions. Question number one. If you were to start a side hustle, what would that side hustle be? So I actually do have a side hustle and it's, oh, uh, I do camper van and RV rentals. It's one of those things where we all, a lot of us work from home. We're either that stuck in the office, anything like that. So kind of picking a side hustle that gets me outdoors a little bit more, more hands-on. I'm out there detailing vans on the weekends, things like that. Um, it's a fun little side hustle kind of breaks up. So, the, so detailing. The so you, but I rent them all the time. So it ends up, I mean, it's one of those businesses where you start it thinking this is going to be a rental company and it ends up just being, you're just detailing vans in between renters all the time. So it just feels more like a car detailing service. <laughs> Interesting. Well, that's yeah. cool. 
All right. Question number two. Top three reads or books or authors or influencers that have made a big impact for you. Definitely. So I would start, I think on the on the book side, I would say it's it's probably cliche at this point, but Atomic Habits, um, especially, I mean, I'm a little bit younger, was just kind of getting into things. And that was a huge piece of of being able to like prioritize stuff for for myself. Mm-hmm. One of the reads that I've just started that I think is going to be an amazing one is called The Founders by Jimmy Sony. Um, it's kind of a behind the scenes of early PayPal, Silicon Valley, entrepreneurs. Um, it looks like it's going to pan out to be a really good one. And number three is uh, I'd probably pick Karina Owens over at Gong. She's doing an awesome job with ABM. She's using a little bit of the user gem stuff too, but she's like really built out ABM in a, in a really cool systematized way. Cool. And how can you tell us anything about the cool systematized way? Or is that yeah, that's a topic for another episode, probably? Topic for another episode. I'll let them I'll, uh, go follow Karina. Um, check out what she's doing. She does a lot of video content, blogs, all sorts of good stuff. Mm-hmm. All right. And question number three is uh, how do you avoid burnout and help your team to avoid burnout too? Yeah. I would say this one starts at company culture. I don't even think it's like necessarily like specific actions and like what you're doing. It's just what the company looks like as a whole and how you've hired. So for us, that means, I mean, we, I mean, we just had somebody go out on like a mental health entire about week and a half where it was just, there's no questions asked, go out, go do your thing. Nobody's going to reach out to you. Um, again, going back to that culture of like, if somebody pops up on Slack when they're on vacation, they get, they get passive aggressive comments or just straight up aggressive comments, but directed at them, like get off Slack, go back to your vacation. Like really just kind of building that culture of like your mental health is more important than your work a lot of the time. Um, so I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, I dig it. Isaac, thank you for your time here today. <clears throat> We're going to wrap here, stay on, uh, and we will. We'll close up, but everybody listening right now, if you like this, if you learned something, drop us a like or a comment. There's also four uh, free CRM analyses that Isaac and User Gem are offering, which are going to show you how good of a job you and your team are doing in terms of staying in touch with and keeping up with your champions, which we call team travelers. Every B2B company has got them, you know, because people switch jobs over the years. So, You work really, really hard to establish these relationships with person A at company A, but when person A goes to company B, how effective are you at staying top of mind with them and staying in front of them and really just rolling out the red carpet for them and uh, and providing that sense of value and sense of um, them being taken care of? So I'm really interested to do that for us web mechanics because I think we're doing a good job of it, but I have a feeling that you're going to let us know otherwise. But yeah, if you like that, um, or if you want to claim one of those, we're going to basically give them away to the first four people that reach out. Just email win at webmechanics.com. Let us know a little bit about you and your company. Uh, and then we'll put you in touch with Isaac and his team at user gems. Awesome. So Isaac, to close out, um, let us know, or people that are interested in learning more about you or user gems, where would you direct them to? Yeah, definitely. Go to our website. Um, I would say the first place to go on the website is go to our, go to our playbooks. Check out where the playbooks are running. Steal some of that if you want. 
try to action it manually. Um, we love we love when people do that. Um, we love when people try to do it manually. It, it kind of it feeds our pipeline. Um, but at the same time, like like you said, I mean, even if you do a semi good job of tracking some of those movers, you're still going to see a lot of success with it. Kind of gives you a glimpse, gives you a little bit of a taste of that. Um, so yeah. And for me, if you if you want to follow me on LinkedIn, I'm not a super consistent poster, but I do every once in a while. So um, follow me there. On LinkedIn, Isaac Ware, ladies and gentlemen. All right, Isaac, we'll stay on. We'll wrap up. Uh, but for everybody else, that's a wrap for today. And we'll look forward to uh, seeing you next time. And that's a wrap. Thanks for joining us today. For show notes and other episodes, visit us at performancemarketinginsiders.com. This podcast is sponsored by Web Mechanics, the performance agency that makes you smarter, offering AI-driven search, paid social, analytics, and conversion rate optimization for financial services, health, B2B, and SaaS brands that know. Hey guys, exclusive for listeners of this podcast, you can get a performance marketing assessment for free. And this isn't some cookie cutter automated report. It lays out detailed, specific things you can do right now to unlock limitless growth and nirvana level personal satisfaction. To claim your free assessment, just go to performancemarketinginsiders.com slash audit and you'll have your customer report within just a few days. 